0: Hi, this is Steve. It's October 2020, an election year, a big election year, with a lot of important issues on the table. And we are only a few weeks out from November 3rd. Both sides say there is much at stake, and from each of their perspectives, this is most certainly true. But relax, I'm not here to discuss politics and candidates. I'm here to talk about the legislative process and propose state and federal legislation that may, if passed, positively affect the quality of life for people with disabilities. Our guest today is Brett Williams, Public Policy Analyst for the Michigan Developmental Disabilities Council. This is our second visit with Brett. In a previous episode, Brett explained the origins and impact of the U.S. Supreme Court's Olmstead decision and the home and community-based service rules. If you haven't listened to that September 30th episode, please do. Also it's important to note this episode was recorded on March 25th, 2020. I know in the year of COVID-19, seven months ago seems like an eternity. I mention this because Brett Will, from time to time, mentioned dates that don't sound very current, and you may get the impression what we're talking about is ancient history. Sadly, most of these initiatives have not been implemented into law because this is 2020, and a coronavirus has pretty much taken control of all human agendas. So sit back, relax, and listen carefully, not to stories of a bygone era that is past or tales of what might have been, but to real possibilities of what might yet come to be. Let's join our conversation with Brett Williams. So, Brett, we have two bills that are in the state of Michigan, and I think we have five that are federal to talk about. Brett is a specialist in public policy, and he knows kind of what's going on. He's got his finger on the pulse, and he's going to share a few things with us that are important bills that we should know as family members and people with disabilities, because it will impact our lives. Do you want to add from our previous conversations, these bills do not travel at the speed of sound. They travel more like at the speed of smell. Sometimes things take a long, long time to get processed. But knowing what's going down the pipeline is important. We're going to talk initially about HB forty-eight thirteen. That's a Michigan bill, and it's a tax credit. Brett, can you tell us about this bill?
1: Sure, Steve. To clarify a little bit here, when you hear the term HB, that means the bill that's originated in the House, so House Bill forty-eight thirteen. Okay. And when you hear the SB four twenty-one, that's a bill that originates in the Senate. So anytime you hear the HB House. SB Senate. The HB 4813 is a bill that was actually introduced one session ago in the 2017-2018 session by Senator Vincent Gregory. What was some of the driving forces behind that particular bill at that time was a discovery that many people, uh, people with disabilities and seniors, were being, uh, for lack of better term, Steve, kind of pushed out of their houses because... They couldn't afford to make the modifications needed for a person with a disability, or say a person uh, had multiple sclerosis and was unable to navigate stairs and things of that nature. They didn't have the resources to make the adaptations to their home. So, Senator Gregory worked with a lot of different advocacy organizations and designed a bill that would allow for a tax credit, not a refund, a tax credit for people who either make their house visitable and that's. A word that's used in the bill, or accessible for other people to come visit, or in order to live there. The bills themselves are sitting right now. They've been introduced uh, one in July, House uh, bills in July, and the Senate bills in August. Now, kind of go over a little bit of what the bill contain. Basically, if a uh, if a taxpayer buys a buys a home that qualifies as a principal residence and retrofits or hires a person to make the modifications to the home, if it meets certain requirements like a zero-step entrance, wide up doorways, first floor facilities for bathrooms, things of that nature, then they can apply up to a $5,000 tax credit. And it's based on how much they spend on a renovation. Or they can take up to 4% of the purchase price of a home as a credit, up to $5,000. The nice thing about these bills, the way they were drafted, is that, Steve, let's say that uh, you needed to make an adaptation to your home to accommodate someone, and I had to buy a new home because there was no way that I could make my existing home accommodate uh, a person in my family that uh, needed to uh, entry, uh, enter and exit the home. If there's been more people that apply for the tax credit from the renovation side, then the bubble will shift that way. If more people apply for a new construction, then the bubble will shift the other way. The cap to the state would be $1 million worth of tax credits. So once again, if for any reason that threshold gets hit, I mean like half a million dollars on one side gets exceeded, but not on the other side, then the bubble will shift. So that's one of the great provisions that was drafted within this bill. Uh, another provision that I think is uh, worth noting is that to say that I have a child that wants to live on their own, and this home will be that child's primary residence. If I make those modifications, I would still qualify for the tax credit, even though I don't live with my child, but my child who has a disability is living in that home and it's that child's primary residence. So there's a lot of good provisions on these bills that uh, would really help people with uh, disabilities, be it you know, an intellectual developmental disability or a disability that's acquired throughout their life.
0: Now, a million dollars seems like a lot of money, but Michigan is a pretty big state. So what happens if yeah. more people apply for this tax credit than they're, they're able to fund?
1: That's a great question. What happens is then it'll be prorated. So let's just say that there's been, a, uh, I'm going to use a hypothetical number, $1,100,000 the credit apply. Then those credits would be prorated back to the $1 million threshold to the state. But uh, an important feature to Steve, and I'm to reemphasize this, is not a refund. So people are not going to get cash back. It would be against a tax liability owed to the state. And that tax liability could be carried forward, uh, if I remember correctly, I think five years.
0: That was my second
1: question. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, It's that crystal ball I've got on my desk here, Steve. Right, (laughs) yeah. That, say, for instance, a uh, person has a tax liability, has a tax credit for $5,000 for retrofitting a home. But he only has a tax liability to state for a thousand dollars. That person could take the four thousand dollar balance and use it against liabilities in the future for up to five years.
0: Now, when you said if you have a one million one hundred thousand dollars worth of claims for this credit, they'll reduce each one proportionally so that it goes back to the one million. So if someone's asking for a five thousand dollar credit, they might end up with a forty five hundred dollar credit or something along that order. Is that correct? That's
1: correct. That, to my understanding, of the Bill, yes.
0: So one more question about the bubble shifting when you started talking about whether it's either a purchase or a renovation. So, what you meant by that, just just for our listeners' sake, if if there are more renovations going on than purchases, and they're doing five hundred thousand for each, they'll just start using up the lesser-used credit?
1: Correct, until it reaches that $1 million threshold.
0: So, But the intention is to make money available for both, but then they will make adjustments depending upon demand.
1: Correct. Um, for those listening, that was my uh, three-year-old son trying to get a Chewy, so... Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a reality show here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. golden retrievers can definitely be vocal. Right. So I apologize
0: for that. Yeah, not a problem. I'm a dog person myself. I understand. And what kind of backing does this bill have? Is it likely to pass, or is this something which would be a great idea but could possibly just evaporate?
1: Well, in, in today's uh, um, environment, it's very difficult to say, because uh, we have to look at it several things. One, um, when the bill passed uh, was introduced last session, it passed out of the Senate 33 to three, which is a pretty good margin. It made it to the House, but it didn't make it to the House till later in, in the session. Didn't have time to be brought up. It died when the session ended. These bills again were introduced in July, and the others August. I think there's support there, but whether we get to them or not is the next thing. When we start looking at what we're facing today, we have a budget that's not complete and we're not in session right now due to the COVID-19 uh, virus. So we also have supplemental appropriations that need to be addressed for education. So if I if I had to place a crystal ball on things, I think, you know, nationally, the budget is going to be, you know, the first and foremost thing is going to be addressed when we come back to session. I think that uh, the second is going to be the education uh, component of the budget. Then we uh, have to have everything done on the governor's desk by July first. We are in an election year. There's only six days of session scheduled in October. So if we brought up quickly, I, I think it has a potential to move. If it doesn't, then uh, we you know look towards next session.
0: So, like a Cub fan would say, "Wait till next year."
1: <laughs> well, Yeah, I, I, it's really hard to say. Again, uh, it's one thing about legislation and the legislative process it is virtually unpredictable until you look at what is really at the top of you know the ladders of, you know regarding the administration regarding the speaker of the house and a majority leader in the senate those three components will kind of give you a guide of what's going to be moving first. Other than that, it's player's guess.
0: And like you said, there are priorities, and obviously some things have to go to the head of the line. Some That's things cool. are going to have to wait, and they can happen the next year. But what's encouraging, I guess, is that there seems to be generally support for this concept. It didn't happen last time. It might not happen this one. But it's quite likely that it may happen in the future, but there are no guarantees when it comes to legislation.
1: Absolutely. When the Senate heard it last session, there, during the hearing, I attended two different hearings on that particular bill, and there was one person of opposition. But other than that, there was, there was no opposition from any of the advocates who were attending and testifying at the hearings.
0: Not a sure thing, but it's it's could happen.
1: It could happen, yes.
0: Anything else about HB 4813?
1: Uh, no, that pretty much summarizes what the bill is about. And if people want to, to look at it and explore and to follow a piece of legislation, just uh, type into any one of your search engines, regardless of which one you use, uh, Michigan Legislature, and it will take you to a page that you can look at public acts, you can look at bills, you can look at committees, committee hearings, what's happening, and you can actually sign up for all the committee hearings. That way you can know that when, when a bill comes up for a hearing and or a vote.
0: Yeah, and you can also tell when it's not moving. Uh, Correct. And then actually on the federal side, you just type in congress.gov. And the the website is a little bit busy, but if you know the name of the particular bill, whether it's Senate or House, you type that in and you'll find out who sponsors and when it was introduced and what stage it's in. And it's kind of interesting, kind of interesting. And if if there's a particular bill that's of high interest, uh, that's something you might want to do just to see where it's moving.
1: Well, the nice thing about actually both websites—the state of Michigan—and I'm going to applaud uh, a Michigan legislature when they when they draft bills, they do a, a fairly good job of, of making them readable. When we talk to so the federal side, uh, maybe not so much, but both websites uh, do a good job of. Uh, for example, I have a, a Congress.gov uh, up right now, and in the very upper left-hand corner, there's a, there's a dropdown window you can choose just this session's legislation, or you can choose all sessions. And then you can type in, like say we use disabilities, we can type in disabilities this session, and it will bring up all the bills that have the word disability somewhere in it. Some, I mean, you, you may run across five, six, seven hundred bills, but the ones that have the, the greatest impact as far as the usage of disabilities will be normally at the, the front runners of the listing where, you know, if it's a bill that look at, like, disability of a pet, let me use that for example, uh, that may be down the uh, chain ways.
0: Now, that's a very good feature because how many, uh, you had told me previously, how many pieces of legislation are on the federal side at this particular point?
1: Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, there's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood close to 64, 65, 600 bills.
0: Trying to sort through all that that yourself without having that word search would be a a real problem.
1: Yes, and that's just on the House side of the Congress side. Uh, The Senate side is probably, um, I imagine, somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500.
0: And some of them are on the same issue, but some could be different, too. That's Mm -hmm. quite a bit. So they are working, folks. They have a lot on their plate. Well, the next bill here is about emotional support animals. Can you tell us a little bit about HB 4910
1: and 4911? I can. Uh, HB 4910 and 4911 is an attempt to address two major issues. One is people who are falsely representing a pet as an emotional support animal when they move into a rental facility. Um or a facility that has a a lease agreement or something of that nature to avoid paying a pet deposit and or um, an added monthly cost to their lease because of the pet. The second item that's trying to be addressed is that there is a plethora of online resources where people can go online pay a nominal fee, some as low as uh, $40, $50, some you know, were in excess of $170, $180, to get a certificate and a, a declaration, if you will, that their pet is an emotional support animal. Now, there is, again, a lot of things are being addressed by this, and emotional support animals are not a ADA, American Disabilities Act, recognized animal. Well, a service animal is. However, when it comes to the Fair Housing uh, Act, emotional support animals are protected there. So there is a lot of uh, gray area between the ADA, which a lot of people are uh, very familiar with, and the Fair Housing Act, where you know not everybody would be familiar with that. So it, it does create a a uh, murky waters for sometimes landlords, uh, sometimes uh, people using an emotional support animal to really know you know what the boundaries are and what what parameters they have to stay in. So what the, what the bills uh, attempt to do are to one regulate it so that people who would be, for lack of better terms, who would want to think twice before representing their pet as an emotional support animal. And to give landlords the ability to do something if the emotional support animal isn't truly an emotional support animal. The HB 4510 does give a definition where emotional support animal means a common domestic animal the health care provider has determined is necessary to alleviate the disability effects of mental, emotion, psychological, uh, psychiatric condition, or illness for a person with a disability who... And the absence of such animal would otherwise not have the same housing opportunities provided by a housing provider. And I'm going to kind of stop there and keeps going for a while. So when a person moves into an apartment, and whether you know it's a duplex or in a large apartment complex, a emotional support animal that has too many emotional support animal is allowed in that facility, is allowed not to have increased rent due to the emotional support. Animal, and there isn't an additional fee, but a pet, those conditions would apply. So, the 4511, on the other hand, will basically change the state statute to allow for termination of a lease if a person misrepresents their pet as an emotional support animal. And it also places between the two bills. It also places it as a misdemeanor uh, with potential ninety days in jail and or a hundred or five hundred dollars fine
0: and termination of the lease
1: and termination of the lease correct.
0: That's going to be awfully hard in some cases to prove, I would imagine.
1: Well, yes, um, there is provisions within the bill that has, notice has to be provided by a health practitioner that the patient has a relationship to that the health practitioner, i using the term health practitioner could be a physician, licensed practical nurse, things of that nature that the person sees and they have a relationship together. And the penalties go for both sides. It goes for both a medical practitioner who falsifies the document and or a tenant who misrepresents a document or an animal's emotional support animal.
0: Well, I think we've all heard stories about people that has an emotional support parakeet or an emotional support snake or things like that. And They're kind of funny stories, but I'm sure that people do try to to get those approved. Now, my son at one point had a service dog, um, and I I always was kind of resentful of the fact that people try to pass their average pet off as being a support or a professional service animal. Um, It sounds like these bills will provide some rights for people that are landlords also.
1: Yeah, I've heard both sides of the argument on this. And it, it is a difficult position to begin, A, not knowing from a landlord's perspective, not knowing if the animal is an emotional support animal, or B, uh, the person who needs an emotional support animal, what parameters they have to follow to legitimately you know, have that emotional support animal. Yes, and, and one thing that is important as well is that both emotional support animals and an ADA service animal can be kicked out of a public housing unit or a private residence if it go, if it becomes aggressive, and noisy, disrupts neighbors, things of that nature. People don't realize that many public places or uh, facilities can actually ask a person with a, like a service animal for that service animal to leave the premise if it becomes disruptive. Now, they can't ask the person to leave the premise, but they can ask for that and will
0: be removed. So yep. this, what's the status of that bill, and is that something they had generally, or those bills, and do they have uh, reasonable support?
1: Well, the, the House versions, uh, HB 4910 and 4911, um, have been voted out of the House. They are in uh, the Senate now. Uh, the Senate bill versions, which was actually three-bill package, uh, SB 608, 09, and 10, has had hearings but it has not been voted out of committee yet. I don't have the exact numbers. I can look it up for you real quick, Steve, but I, right in front of me, but I'm thinking it was something to the effect of 6733 being voted out of the House.
0: Correct. It may
1: not. Um, again, being a companion bill of the Senate, only in a different form, if either one of the bills uh, are changed in any format, then it goes to the conference committee. And may not agree on the conference Committee.
2: This is the portion of the show which will be a break between the state and federal bills. Heading on to the federal
0: bills, there's H.R. 555, the Disability Integration Act. And this is probably a little complex, but kind of give us the high level on it.
1: Oh, I absolutely can. H.R. 555 also has a companion bill in the Senate, which would be one one seven. Now on the outside we explain how the HBSB work in a, in a federal legislation, HR House Representatives S Senate. So it's very similar. So if you see the H House S Senate, uh, the Disability Integration Act 2019 would prohibit government entities and insurance providers from denying community-based services to people and individuals with disabilities that require long-term supports andor services and Enable each individual to live in a community and lead an independent life. So this is very reflective of what we talked about in our last session on home community-based services. This bill, uh, bills, I should say, actually look at some of the provisions in HBCS and puts it in statute. Basically, entities such as the government, insurance industries, and things of this nature can't discriminate from a person who needs community-based services, uh, such as try imposing um, eligibility criteria, cost, things of that nature, it'd be illegal for them to do that if the bill should come into act. Um, sometimes we've experienced that, you know, depends on the insurance provider, um, they have, you know, specific things that their policies cover, the specific things that they don't. Where if a, a person who's under a Medicaid program mm-hmm or under other programs have the disability, then the providers, uh, whoever they may be, will not be able to say that, no, we're not going to provide these services in the community and we're going to uh, promote institutionalization for the individual. Um, the bill also requires the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services to issue regulations requiring government entities and insurance providers to offer community-based, long-term care service services to individuals with disabilities who uh, basically would otherwise qualify for institutional placement. Uh, Michigan does not have any institutions. The last one closed in 2010, if I remember correctly. The, the Home Community Services for People with Disabilities uh, in Michigan is, is critical.
0: But there are still states that do have institutions. And so, Absolutely. Uh, how would this apply to uh, state? I think Illinois still has some institutions. What happens Correct. in that particular case? Correct. An insurance company deny uh, home care?
1: Well, this this is where it gets a little complicated. Um, I am not an expert on all the different Medicaid provisions. I do have a, a general understanding of the home and community service rules that were issued um, in 2014, if I remember correctly. Basically, under the HBCS regulations, an institution would not be able to receive Medicaid funds by institutionalizing an individual and not having them in a home and community-based setting. Now, it is ultimately up to the individual to choose where they want to live. So let's just say, for example, and again, I'm going to reflect back to some conversations you've had in the past. Say that we have a uh, farm that is literally 20 miles out of town, that only people who are living there uh, are people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. Uh, they don't leave, they don't have transportation to the city, you know, go to the library, movies or anything else else. They have a you know, in house theater, in house barbershop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They are basically, you know, from day up to you know, sun up, sundown, they are uh, in, in that location. That would be considered an isolated setting and that facility would not be able to receive home and community based service funding through Medicaid unless they changed dynamics of that institution and made it more accessible to the greater community. So I would imagine, again, I'm just walking on a limb here, that uh, states that do have institutions, that those are g- going to have to uh, change uh, how they run and how they look and how they operate to conform to the HBCF or HBCS setting rules. And if this law should come into fruition, then that would you know, places in statute that the the, the providers who are providing supports and services to the individual can't say that, you know,
0: you're going back to the institution. You use the example of uh, a farm that might be outside of town and and has limited access. Um, What can happen is it can make changes to conform, uh, but they have to prove their case. Is that how that works then? Uh, in, In a very general setting, yes, that's how it works. When
1: a, an entity, and I don't want to say farm and give people uh, an impression of, you know, a farm, a horse. Right. I, I, a segregated setting would be a better way to put it. That uh, they, if they are under heightened scrutiny, they can do a couple different things. They can work with, uh, in Michigan it would be MSA, Medical Service Administration, and Behavioral Health Developmental Disability Administration to make the necessary changes to comport with the UCF setting, or two elected not to and basically say that you know persons who are living here uh, great but you know their support funding is gonna to have to come somewhere else
0: are there any other provisions in HR555 or s117 oh
1: um, that's a very high overview of the, uh, of the two bills but one thing that is important to note that the bill also allows for civil actions to be brought by the individuals that may have been impacted by uh, somebody violating this act.
0: You have an example of what that would look like?
1: Well, oh, I, th- I think um, to better answer that question, because I, I, there's things called standing and things. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I, I, Correct. I didn't say the Holiday Inn Express last night. Okay. <laughs> so uh, there is an entity in Michigan called Michigan Protection and Advocacy Services.
0: They're on all states, aren't they? Protection Advocacy Services. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yes. They, they are be in all states, yes. And Michigan Protection and Advocacy Services um, uh, is the legal arm, if you will, of uh, enforcing uh, people's uh, rights who are disabled.
0: So that might be a place for an individual to take a grievance.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And if he wants to read, if people want to read more about uh, the Disability Integration Act, again, the websites we gave, congress.gov, they can read more about it and see what the Disability absolutely. Integration Act says.
1: Yes. And, and when, when people search for a piece of legislation, there is a summary of the bills that um, are available. Some of them, not all of them. For instance, there's bills been introduced since early session that there's not a summary drafted on yet, and there's some that have been introduced in three days that have a summary. So there's no rhyme or reason for that either.
2: Thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. This is Alex, your producer, and I apologize for any irregular sounds because I'm coming at you live from my home studio, and I am a bit under the weather today. So hopefully it doesn't sound too awful. I'm working with what I got here. First off, I'd like to thank everyone who has joined us in our Facebook community. You are what's going to make the gold happen. Not only do we trust our Facebook friends to let us know what sort of episodes we are making, whether or not you like the content, and what you want to hear in the future, but also, we are expecting you guys to participate every now and then, and throw out ideas that even we wouldn't normally think of. Whatever you want to hear... Let us know, and we will find a way to make it happen. Secondly, we will be putting up all kinds of information regarding the current status of all the bills we discussed during today's show. Brett has been an invaluable resource, and he will be on to give us an update with but more time present information. Though, with the way this year has gone, who knows how much progress we're gonna be talking about. Lastly. If you are interested in helping us here at Unlocky in any way, shape, or form, we have got a thousand ways you can help, from joining us on Facebook and giving us your feedback to becoming one of our beta listeners and getting a hold of the podcast a few days early to give us feedback prior to launch. Even as far as if you just want to make a sustaining donation on our Patreon, a couple bucks a month can go a long way to help cover the cost of the podcast. Thank you so much for everything that you as our listeners do for us. You make us what we are, and we truly do care about it. I'm going to let you get back to the interview now. Once again, thanks so much, and have a wonderful listening experience.
0: Welcome back to our conversation with Brett Williams. We're talking now about H.R. 1529 federal legislation. It's the Marriage Access for People with Special Abilities Act. That's MAPSA, I guess, is the abbreviation for that.
1: Yes, for as long as I know of, people who are receiving SSI income were penalized, if you will, if they got married, because they look at Instead of individual income, we look at household income, things of that nature. So what this bill would do would be amend uh, Title 16 of the Social Security Act in that income benefits of adults with intellectual or developmental disabilities will not be reduced by reason of marriage. Now, we're not talking a great deal of money. Uh, We're talking, if I remember correctly, uh, SSI benefits are are roughly $780 uh, a month. So we're not talking a ton of money on this. The marriage access for people, and I think National Down Syndrome really describes it very well. Um, They write that the marriage access for people with special abilities or MAPSA Act clarifies that SSI benefits for individuals with an intellectual developmental disability will not be affected by marital status. I mean, that basically says it all. And so to promote, and, and I have close friends that, Several close friends, actually. Uh, one that's already been married and several that are planning to get married. They have to plan well just to get married so one or both won't have a diminished benefit level. So this act would definitely help people who are on SSI eliminate uh, a penalty for having you know two people on SSI under the same household. And it would promote the ability for people who you know, want to get married to get married.
0: And although it doesn't seem like a lot of money, it is if that's your sole source of income.
1: Absolutely. I didn't want to you know, come across as it wasn't much money for the household. I'm looking at it for the bigger picture, for the Social mm-hmm. Security. Because you're right. Uh, people who are living underneath the income of SSI, SSDI, uh, it's, it's limited. Um, they're on a fixed income, period.
0: The next one is the Disability Employment Incentive Act, HR three nine
1: nine two. Yes, and the expanding bill in the Senate was S two five five. Okay. And um, basically, what this bill would do would expand tax credits and deductions for employers who hire and retain employees with a disability. Now, Steve, I'll be very transparent with you. Um, when I was reading these bills some time ago there was a lot of cross-referencing to the Social Security Act, as well as some of the tax codes and some of the other uh, issues that are coming into play in this. I am not an expert on the tax code. I'm just going to kind of explain it as I know it. Um, So basically what it will do is amend the Internal Revenue Code to include individuals who are receiving like a Social Security Disability Insurance benefit under the Work Opportunity Credit It will also increase the opportunity credit for vocational rehabilitative services and referrals, qualified SSI and SSDI recipients, and expand disabled access credit. It will also provide increased credits for expenditures like removing architectural barriers, barriers to transportation, and other things like computer and internet access, things like that. So, basically,
0: um, help the employer financially through tax credits to employ people with disabilities.
1: Correct. And, and that was a long way around, and Stevie hit it a lot better than I did on that one. Uh, <laughs> Bill, would <laughs> Bill would also have opportunity tax credit to include hiring
0: employees who receive Social Security, SSI, or SSI benefits. Where are we with now that? I can one?
1: read a little where are we, um I'll be uh, completely transparently, Steve i uh, have to look that one up real quick. I don't. Believe, I believe it's only had a couple actions on that particular bill. Yeah, it's only had um, a couple things happening with it so far. It's only had uh, two actions, uh, basically introduction and referral to a committee, it looks like.
0: Anything else you want to add about H.R. 3992?
1: I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. It's a, a bill that uh, would absolutely help employers uh, hiring people with disabilities. To you know, give greater incentives uh, to make some of the necessary changes, but again, with you know what we got going down national level, and this bill was introduced July twenty
0: fifth of last year, we're running out of time to see this one through. Uh, again, that might not happen this time around, but it's a great idea. Hope that it survives. The next one is HR four two eight zero SSI Restoration Act.
1: Yes, and again, a companion bill on the uh, Senate side is twenty seven fifty three. Now, for the most part, Supplemental Security Income, or SSI, uh, really hasn't been adjusted or modified in well over 30 years. So there is substantial limitations to the assets that one can retain, the income that one could have and retain benefits, as well as you know household married income and benefits. Now, currently, in general sense, a uh, current SSI uh, beneficiary going to have roughly around $2,000 in assets. That is disregarding the ABLE accounts. So we're, we're setting the ABLE accounts aside at this point. What this bill would do would erase that $2,000 mark and raise the asset limit to $10,000 for an individual and $20,000 for a couple. And when you look at just the rate of inflation for the last 30-plus years, that really doesn't even match this race. So people have been, you know, as time progresses, further and further behind. By raising the asset limit 10000 or $20,000 for uh, a married couple would substantially help many people. In addition to that, it would increase the amount of disregarded income that a beneficiary can take in each month. Basically what it is, is that, for instance, if a person receives odd dollars a month, uh, another source, they have to report that. That would impact their SSI amount they receive monthly, things like that. With this bill, it would increase that to $123 a month from other sources and not impact their eligibility. Now, if a person is able to work, even part-time, they would be able to earn up to $399 a month under this bill and, again, not lose eligibility. And another very nice component of this bill is that there's something called natural supports which is, hypothetically, if I have a son, daughter, whatever the case would be, and I have a, a guest house, and I let them live in my guest house, that's considered a natural support. That would be considered that they're receiving money for rent. Under this bill, even though they're not. you're not charging them anything, they can't have that as a natural support because it's considered housing and there has a value to that. So this bill would allow for natural supports and not be penalized for it. Um, also, again, like the previous bill, uh, they would not be penalized if they were being married. There's a proportional loss of income if, uh, if a person has that society to get married. We kind of went over that uh, a little bit earlier today. Mm-hmm. And even after marriage, they would still receive their benefits.
0: That would be very welcome, because that 2000 seems very draconian.
1: Yes, and when you look at, for instance... What $2,000 would buy back in 1983 and what $2,000 would buy today, there's a, there's a large gap between value of that. I would absolutely agree with you on that, Steve. I, I remember having a date myself here about uh, car salesman back in the mid-'80s, and I remember selling brand-new cars for you know high fives, low sixes. You know, If I could walk on a lot today and buy a new car for high fives, low sixes, well, I'd be
0: on that. That's like a used car with a lot of miles on it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well once, we'll, you know, reach that two hundred thousand mile mark.
0: Then the last one here for today is HR four eight the Community Safety Act. So tell us about the Community Safety Act.
1: Yeah, um, the Community Safety Act would authorize the attorney general to provide grants to law enforcement and other first responder agencies to gain more training on how to interact with people with mental health issues and or intellectual developmental disabilities. Uh, we all know that through the reports on TV and all the other media, there's times where a law enforcement officer or a person approaches a person with a mental health condition or a developmental disability, and the outcomes are not favorable to either person. So with this Bill is designed to do is to promote those funding sources so law enforcement can gain further training. Uh, the grants will be over a period of five years with a, a total uh, amount roughly, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to go into the bill on itself, the Appropriation Act is um, uh, unauthorized authorized appropriate for $2.5 million to carry out the section for each of the fiscal years, and I think that's going towards the administrative side as well as operation of appropriations. That we authorized, the appropriated for twenty-five million dollars each year, starting twenty twenty, going through twenty twenty-five. We have not been able to distinguish exactly where the the, the money is going to come from, whether it's a new appropriation or if it's reappropriations to some programs. Uh, we don't know that yet.
0: And again, going back to what our government currently is faced with this COVID-19 funding issue to keep um, our economy from falling off the rails, uh, these things probably will take second place in those issues. Yes. We might not see action on this for a while. It would be a good idea at some point in the future, hopefully sooner rather than later.
1: Yes. Steve, there's a Excuse me. So Sorry about my, uh, my, okay. my son here. son uh, kind of getting excited <laughs> here a little bit. There are self-advocates in the state of Michigan, the self-advocates of Michigan being one of them, that uh, look at this issue. I'm not saying this particular bill, but look at this issue as vitally important. And they've actually reached out to the Michigan State Police. They've reached out to um, other local law enforcement agencies. To help foster a better understanding of what an individual mental health condition and or an intellectual disability goes through when they're approached by law enforcement or looking towards, you know, any sort of an interaction with, with that individual.
0: And I think an important point to, to make here is that you don't have to wait for the funding to have those that advocacy going on about what can we do about that now to increase understanding. It doesn't oh, always take an appropriation. True. It can just be people reaching out to people to make things happen. But to, to spread that message as far as possible, it will take some funding.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we look back at uh, the Olmstead decision. It took one person, one voice, and one advocate to change the entire nation.
0: It takes a lot of courage to be that first voice, I'm sure. Yes. Well, Brett, I want to thank you. I know you've had a long day, <laughs> and I really appreciate your taking the time to visit with us on these issues. And we will keep our listeners informed as things happen that are worthy of reporting. And so with that, I would say good night, my friend. Get some sleep and, and go pet your son there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> do something with him. He's uh, a little rambunctious this evening. Okay,
0: he wants your attention.
1: He does. because he, I've been literally uh, sitting here at uh, the, the table working on uh, a computer since a little after 6 this morning. It's uh, roughly 8.30 at night. So.
0: Okay, well, be well, my friend, and we'll talk to you sometime soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Once again, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Hi, and welcome back to The Cafe. We're glad you could stick around for the discussion. Today, Steve spoke with Brett Williams about proposed legislation, both for the state of Michigan and the U.S. Congress. Steve, it all sounds promising, but there's a lot of stuff there. What are your impressions, and how do we best help these things come to fruition?
0: I'm glad you asked that question. It's an excellent one. Um, If you are interested in finding out the progress around a bill or you want to be able to talk to somebody at the ARC or some other uh, advocacy organization about helping out or write your congressperson, if it's a a U.S. government bill, it's congress.gov. And you'll see a very good interactive website. This is one thing the Congress does very well for us. You can just put in the bill's number or describe it. You can write in disability employment. And you'll get everything coming up that has to do with disability employment. It'll tell you the status of the bill, who the sponsor is, who signed on to it. It's really, really great. Wonderful. And the same thing for the uh, Michigan legislature. You put on legislature.mi.gov. Now, if you're listening to this in Iowa or wherever you happen to be, I'm hoping you have something similar, but the congress.gov works in all 50 states. It's universal. Right. Uh, But every state should have something very similar to this. And it's a great way to find something that is really important to you and find out what is the status. Where is it right now? Right. I, I would say that everything that Brett talked about was really good stuff. It's all very promising. Two of them that really excited me was one Michigan uh, bill and, and one United States Congress bill. But if you are planning on getting married and you're disabled, then some of the stuff you talk about is very important to you. So we'll kind of just briefly go over it, but I want to kind of highlight the ones that I think are important. Uh, there's a lot of partisan division on many different things, but there isn't an awful lot of division when it comes to disability issues. That seems to be rather nonpartisan because it ex- affects everybody.
3: Excellent. And right. So
0: uh, maybe there's some spending issues involved with some bills, but in terms of the philosophy of helping people out with disabilities to have a, a more inclusive life, nobody's fighting against that. Okay. It doesn't put on the fast track because some of these things move at the speed of smell. Right. They are very, very slow. And what's kind of impacted that? Well, COVID has for one thing, because it kind of took over the agenda. But I uh, just, it's an election year. Everybody's posturing, and not as much is happening that could be happening.
3: Okay. Some of your
0: highlights. Some of the highlights. Okay. Uh, two Michigan bills. First of all, uh, HB, which means House Bill, 4813, that Brett talked about, the tax credit for purchase of housing or for certain modifications. That's really a cool thing. Now, that was started in uh, 2019. It's been around for quite some time already, and it usually shows up in the next Congress session if it doesn't pass. But that's going to offer a significant amount of money if somebody needs to make an adaptation to a house so they can live there, or it's possible to do that. It doesn't have to be your house. It could be a son or da- It could be the parent's house the son or daughter's living at that they can do this. And it's limited, but it's still something. You know, the state of Michigan is talking about having a million dollars in this plan, and people can get up to $5,000 to make a modification. I think Brett explained pretty well that it it either goes to the purchase of a new house, or it could be to modifying a, an existing house. You can find all the, all the details online, but I like that. Um, I think that a lot of people could take advantage of that. It's interesting. There are six different bills out there about uh, reasonable accommodations for emotional support animals. Really? Yes. There's six different bills. Uh, There's three Senate bills in in Michigan and two House bills. But I think actually Brett covered it quite well in the talk. Okay. Now we get to the U.S. Congress bills, and there was the Disability Integration Act, which is uh, just making sure that if somebody can access a service in their community— that service providers and Medicaid providers have to pay for it. And apparently that's been the law for some time, but it hasn't been the practice universally. And so the Disability Integration Act of 2019, HR 555, is going to be underscoring that. Then there's a marriage access for people with special abilities. That, as again, as Brett mentioned, if this is probably the most important of all the things we're talking about if you're planning on getting married. And people with disabilities do get married. It's just a normal thing that people want to do. Right. They fall in love. There was penalties before. This removes the penalties, financial wow. penalties. The Disability Ince- Employment Incentive Act is helping more employers offer jobs and giving us some tax credits to do so. It Help- opens them to consideration of people with different abilities. Excellent. The one I think is super cool is HR 4280. Uh, The Disability Employment Incentive Act was HR 3992. HR 4280. We all know this crazy thing that's been around for decades that a person that's collecting basically SSI can't, have more than two thousand dollars in countable assets. There's other things you can do. You can have trusts, you can have able accounts. But right. We're talking about money in a checking account right. or savings account. Very limited. No more than two thousand. Right. This would raise it, this is the SSI Restoration Act from two thousand to ten thousand dollars.
3: Getting close. <laughs>
0: now if they gave you the ten thousand it'd be even better, but
3: <laughs> not gonna give it to you. But no. they still let you have it.
0: Right. You can have ten thousand under this act if it passes. And the earning capacity goes from $783 a month without affecting your SSI up to uh, significantly higher than that. And I don't really have that exact figure, but they're increasing both, the amount of earnings and the amount of assets you can have. Um, So I think those two are huge because they're bringing us like up to current with the $10,000 at least. Uh, $2,000 used to be, and it still is, a lot of money but not by 2020 standards what it was, let's say, in 1995 or earlier than that. Then there's the Community Safety Act. This is really quite related to uh, reforming police procedures for many things. A big concern in the disability community is somebody was in public and uh, somehow being approached by a policeman and that person had autism or some kind of other disorder that is maybe not apparent. It could lead them to run or to resist, and that could have very bad consequences.
3: Very severe consequences. So this
0: is about authorizing the attorney general to make uh, grants to provide training to improve police responses for people with mental illness and uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities. So that would hopefully create a better outcome than a confrontational one. One thing they're talking about is having someone like a social worker go out on some calls rather than police. If it's a domestic disturbance, and there's a problem with a mental illness, police and guns aren't going to solve the problem. They right. could only aggravate it. In many cases, it's the same thing with a developmental or intellectual disability. Very close to the mental illness, there could be reactions that they wouldn't be. The police would not be used to, and they can't normally function on those. And this would help that. Kerry,
3: time to get us out of here. Okay. Thanks to Alex, our producer. Holly, our website queen, and Daniela intern extraordinaire who does a lot of the behind the scenes wizardry and thanks to all of our beta listeners and thanks to all of you for listening if you'd like to support our podcast please tell your friends about navigating life as we know it one Thank- two three thanks Thank you for, for listening, listening.